Good to be with you this morning. We're going to be looking at Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. It's that marvelous prayer of the Apostle Paul for the Ephesians church. As I was hearing things in worship, there are so many things uh, and dealing with this text uh, that are appropriate that we will not even be able to uh, look at today, unfortunately, uh, but perhaps by the Lord's grace another day. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. This is the Word of God. For this reason, I bow my knees for the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of God will remain forever. Amen. In 1980, a very forgettable movie by the name of Urban Cowboy produced a hit song, Looking for Love. And in parentheses, after Looking for Love, it was in all the wrong places. And I just want to bring to you this morning that the Lord of love desires for his people to know ever more deeply about his love. When John Wesley had had a disastrous ministry on the eastern coast, particularly in Georgia, before he was converted, he went back home to England, as it were, with his tail tucked between his legs. And there he met a European, Count Zinzendorf, who was the founder of the Mennonites, a very spirit-filled man. And Wesley was talking with Zinzendorf on the ship back to England. And Zinzendorf asked Wesley, do you know that Jesus loves you and died for your sins. And Wesley said, well, I know that he died for the sins of the world. But do you know, Zinzendorf came back, do you know that he died for your sins? And that question haunted Wesley until he had that great Aldersgate experience where he felt his 
heart strangely warmed, strangely from reading the introduction of Paul's letter to the Romans by Martin Luther. We don't have many Bible studies like that anymore, do we? This morning, hopefully by the end of this sermon, you will have a greater sense of assurance that God loves you, or at the very least, wants you to know that He loves you desperately, that He has great and eternal affection for you. And we see this in Paul's prayer for this church. The church needs to grow in this, this Ephesians church. And so, this is indeed what this prayer is all about. He is finishing, Paul is finishing the first two chapters and is going then to the third chapter. He wants to go from theology and the glory of the gospel, the glory of God's grace, the glory of what God has done, the glory of restoration of the sinful man into a living creature, living by the love and the grace of God. Paul is also humbled. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. He's thinking about this vast plan of God, beginning with the Jews, because Paul was a Jew of Jews, a Hebrew of Hebrews by his own account. And Paul is thinking of the Jews in salvation history, but now through Christ, salvation is brought into all of the world to the Ephesians included in Asia Minor. Who would have thought about it? Who could have even imagined it? And so he is humbled about this revelation that has been given to him and the fact that he has been called the apostle to the Gentiles. He is the one who has been sent out to bring that gospel to these people, to that new body of people that Jesus prayed for in John 17. I have another flock that is not a part, and they will come. And this is what Paul is doing, bringing that gospel to this Ephesians church, wishing now to build up the church. And let me just say that also one of the things I hope that you take away from this is that you be determined in your own personal life to pray this prayer for this particular church. To get to the point where it becomes so familiar to you that it is so much more important than any physical ailment. Physical ailments are important to us and we should not indeed ignore them. But we are called then here to look at spiritual matters and to take these into account for the church of Jesus Christ as well. Now, Paul is addressing the Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the fountain of all the blessings in the first chapter as he's begun. Paul begins his letter, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places 
in Christ Jesus. So in praying this prayer, Paul is essentially going back to the well. He is seeking to procure even more blessing for the church. The requests Paul are about to pray are extraordinary. And there is no one, no man, no church that can answer these prayers. Only the Father can make such a difference in the life of the church. He says that he wishes that these prayers would be answered according to the riches of God's glory. A very interesting phrase, but he's just saying that as God is glorious, as God is the Lord over all, may he answer these prayers in keeping with the God that he is. He is all glorious, and may he answer these prayers in a glorious way, but he receive the glory and that we receive the great benefit. Nothing is impossible with God. This is Paul's idea. Verse 16, this is Paul's very first request. That the Father would grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. So he is praying for spiritual strengthening. He is not praying for physical strengthening or physical needs. And note, as he prays for spiritual strengthening, there must be, by default, a spiritual weakness within this church, that they do need this spiritual strengthening. They need strength from the Spirit of God. And so he calls upon the Spirit to come and strengthen them in the inner man. Now, it's interesting, as we read this prayer, we have a tendency to want to apply it to our own lives. But Paul is speaking here of the church. He is speaking and writing and praying for a corporate body that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith. These are already believers. They already have faith. So he is, in in essence, he is praying that their faith be built up, that Christ, by virtue of the fact that they believe more and more in him, they have been more and more surrendered to him, that they rejoice more and more in him, that Christ comes and makes a home, as it were, in their hearts, that he is comfortable to dwell there. When I first read this uh, passage, I was in high school, and I read it in the Living Bible. You remember the Living Bible? Does anybody have a Living Bible anymore? But for all of its faults, this scripture in the Living Bible, to me at the time, what does a high school kid know, was beautiful. I thought, this is gorgeous scripture. It's very poetic. And to see that God wanted 
the faith of the church to be built up so that the, the church would be strengthened within, within, so that they could stand against anything, so that they could be courageous, so they could be bold for Christ. It melted my heart. And so what we see then is Christ is to come and to live within our midst. Have you ever noticed in, in Revelation 3, we use that verse, Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Who is Jesus, who is that letter written to? A church, a church in Laodicea. Has it ever occurred to you What's Jesus doing on the outside of the church? Why is he having to knock to come in? And you and I are called to be a type of people that we want Jesus so intimately in our lives, so intimately in the lives of our corporate body and our church so that he permeates his love, his grace, his Spirit permeates all that we are, all that we do. Jesus said, this is a sweet thing in John 15 to his disciples on the night he was betrayed, abide in my love, live in my love. And so our faith, as it increases, will understand that this love is more and more for us, and that Jesus Christ did indeed love me before the foundations of the world, not for any good in me, but because of all the good, because of all the grace, because of all the mercy, because of all the long-suffering, because of all the abounding love, steadfast love of the Father, because of His faithfulness, and that we would be called to Him in time. And as this is a prayer, it's very encouraging to remember Jesus' words in John 15 as well. He said, if you abide in me, this is we're talking about Jesus dwelling in us and we in him. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you may ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This prayer of Paul as we grow in faith, as we grow in the apprehension of Jesus Christ and His presence with us all day long, 24-7 we say, then we will indeed see this prayer answered in our life. A grow, growing dynamic faith pleases God in many ways. Well, verse 17b, uh, the last part of verse 17, Paul does a very interesting thing. Usually, Paul will, and what he's doing here is he builds on phrase upon phrase. And this one, at this point, he begins to correlate uh, phrases one with the other. And he says that Christ residing in our hearts is the same as being rooted and grounded in love. And this is very important for us 
to remember that he calls for us then as Christ comes in and he dwells more and more at, uh, at home in our hearts that we being rooted and grounded in love may what he says in verse 18 so do you understand do you, do you hear the continual thought there by Jesus dwelling in our hearts our having continual fellowship with him we are being more and more rooted and grounded in love and when you're rooted and grounded then you become more established you become more and more strong you get your uh, nourishment spiritually from the soil in which you are planted in and we are called then to be rooted and grounded in love. Some plants need special soil. Azaleas and blueberries need acidic soil. Very often you'll see around uh, an azalea bush, a blueberry bush, you'll see pine needles. And those pine needles impart acid to the soil. Some other plants need a, a higher pH, and so they don't need uh, much acid in the soil. The soil, using this metaphor, the soil that Christians grow best in is a knowledge of God's love, that God truly loves us. And see, this is where the, the whole doctrine of election is so sweet to us that we believe that God has chosen us before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to be his children. No one coerced God. He delightfully chose. He did it with great exuberance. He did it in great love looking forward to that day before we stand before him glorified knowing the beginning from the end and it excited god's heart if you can even say that to choose us before him in love we must understand this now it's interesting the living bible translates this verse about May our roots go down deep. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. I hope you're doing that. I hope when you read the scriptures, you see, oh, there's love. Oh, that's about love. I see God's love there, his choice of loving instead of something else. That we are called to flourish to live and move and have our being in him and to know that he is the Lord who loves us. Now, I want to tell you a, a personal story very quickly that when I came into believe in the sovereignty of God in salvation, I didn't understand how love tied into it. And I was like, oh, let's get rid of this talking about God's love so much. Let's talk about election. Let's talk about predestination. Let's get into that. Let's talk about God's sovereignty. And those are, oh, we love those doctrines. We, we love 
the fact that God is sovereign over our salvation. But it is so sweet to know that God is a God of love and how that ministers to our heart. Listen to Zephaniah 317. This is a verse you probably have memorized. If you've memorized anything out of Zephaniah. 317, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. That's of a proud daddy with his baby in his arms in different times throughout the day. A mighty father. So the soil of God's love, as we believe this, nourishes our souls, nourishes our hearts, and strengthens us, and it emboldens us to study this love all the more, to know more about it. It's where we can't get enough of understanding of this love, and so that we, indeed, as we study the love of God, and we admire Him so for being such a God of love, of tenderness, of compassion towards us, that we become like Him. We become sweeter. We become constrained by His love. We choose the loving way in our relationships because He is in our midst. This God of Zephaniah is in our midst. Verse 18, this is one of the goals of Paul's prayer and is the reason we need strength from the Spirit and in the presence of Jesus Christ. Quote, to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses all knowledge. The word comprehend basically just means to apprehend, to take it in, to believe it, that all of the ins and outs of God's love began to make sense. And so this occurs, we have this knowledge not because we have the knowledge and then we believe, but we believe and therefore the knowledge is built line upon line, bit by bit, within our very souls. It's something that takes, at times, a life. But we are called to continue to trust and to know this love of God. Now, verse 19, that word to know, is a special word. And it means two things. It can mean, in the context, that you gather knowledge like someone lectures to you. You gather knowledge from someone teaching you. But it better fits the context for the word know to mean that you know it within relationship. That is, you get to know a person. You know their ins and outs. You know their ups and downs. You can say, what's wrong today? You're not quite yourself. And that type of knowledge comes in a relationship. 
ins and outs, day in and day out. And this is the type of word it is. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, this word is used, and Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore a child. So it's intimate knowledge. It's a knowledge that occurs through experience. And don't be confused about the relationship that Adam had with his wife. That is not the type of thing that we're talking about here. We're talking about intimacy and relationship, and it is that which surpasses knowledge. Remember, Paul is getting ready to write Ephesians 5, which is about Christ and the church. As he teaches wives and husbands about their relationship, he's saying, well, this really deals about the relationship of Christ and his church. So we are called then to know this love, to comprehend it, to believe it, to walk in it, to trust in him, to have faith that the love of God is for me, even me, even you. And we're to grow in this knowledge. Peter writes to the church, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mature in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Progress in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Continue in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. Grow. Live in Him. Jeremiah 9.24 Let him who boasts in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. And here it comes. For I delight in these things. Do you see God as a God who delights in love? He delights in loving. He delights in giving. He delights in meeting our needs. Maybe not on our timetable. But those needs in time will be met that he does take care of us. And Paul writes, to comprehend with all the saints, all the saints. This is not just for preachers or elders or deacons. This is for the greatest saint to the least saint, if you can say that there is a saint who is the least. That we are all called to be exuberant, to grow in, the love of God. And there is a description in Scripture that is used in different places, but it's beautiful in its simplicity. I'm going away from Ephesians now. And in Exodus 34, Moses has had a tough time. And he cries out to God in Exodus 33, show 
me your glory. And so God condescends to him. And this is where he hides Moses in the cleft of the rock and covers him there with his hand and only allows the back parts of God's glory to go before Moses because Moses will be consumed. In love, he protects Moses. But God passes by and he declares his name. And he says, the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, I love that one, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and faithfulness. And the people of God have latched onto that. And that same description of God is in Psalm 86 and in Psalm 103. It's in Jonah. Jonah, you know, wanted Nineveh to be destroyed, and so he he uses all of that except faithfulness at the end and says, you are a God who averts disaster. Why did God do that for the Ninevites? Because of love. So we see then that God wants us to know. He has revealed himself as this God of love. And we're to know and to comprehend this with all the saints. And Jesus says that the world is supposed to look at you and me and say, behold how they love one another. I fear my life is dreadfully lacking. But when we learn to serve one another because of the love of God, we comprehend the love of God in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus washed his disciples' feet. When we worship together, we begin to comprehend and we say, Lord, with Peter, it is good for us to be here. In praying together and sharing one another's burdens and sharing testimonies and praising God in hymns and songs and spiritual songs, we began to comprehend the love of God in the church. Just two or three weeks ago, I was in the back and we were singing. And I said to myself that we are really starting to sound like a church. It was sweet to hear you singing. And these are aspects of our knowing and growing in the love of God to continue to strengthen and excite us for the progress of the church. We are to comprehend the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of the love of God. Now, I've always just thought of that as just being... Paul's way of saying these mathematical points, God's love is without end, it is without plumb. But if you think about Ephesians 2, 
And we read it today in Matthew, as Bud read the Scripture, that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. And the cornerstone was used in the ancient building. It was a perfect stone, perfectly square or perfect rectangle. The end did not taper back or go out. It was perfect. And all the dimensions of the rest of the building were used by the dimensions of the cornerstone. And so Christ Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. Gives the dimensions for how the church is to be built. The height and the length and the breadth and depth of it. And the first thing is not mortar nor sand, but it's love. It's God's love for us to build us up, to cause us to go into the world with that love and to minister to one another. But also understand that these points that reach out the height and length and breadth and depth have their origin in the heart of God. And that love of God extends and expands and enlarges and stretches and grows and lengthens and fills and reaches each and every part of all of creation, including you and me. God's love is infinite just as God is infinite. And love so fills God up that it overflows from Him so that we are His and that we as being His children are called then to overflow with that love as well. Being filled up with that love. And that's what he says, this last statement. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God, that you too would overflow with the love of God, that you too would be changed from the inside out. And that we would love more and more like our Father has loved us. The love of Christ more and more controlling and constraining us, multiplying itself, growing and expanding in us to others and to God Himself, but also encouraging one another and joyfully serving one another. God's love permeating, God's love filling us until it overflows with a great effusion of blessing in God's Spirit to others. And good works for which we were created in Christ Jesus for, accompanied with praise and adoration and glory to God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine anything so wonderful? What we're talking about is the beginning of heaven on earth. The beginning of the knowledge of God in his love on earth. And he says that this is really beyond 
our knowledge. That's why we need to be strengthened. And that's why it takes a lifetime of searching, of being in God's Word, of being in church. And then Paul, and knowing this, this is so interesting to me, that it seems as though we, we get to this point at the end of verse 19 and we go, that's wonderful, idealistic stuff, Paul, but it just ain't gonna happen. But the benediction, the good word that Paul puts at verse 20 and 21 snuffs that idea out completely. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, some translations say exceedingly abundantly, than we are able to ask or think according to his power at work within us. It's already been prayed that we receive and that we grow in. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Amen. Do you believe that that's God's will for you? We want to know God's will. And here's a beautiful prayer of Paul for the church. You're a part of the church. I'm a part of the church. This is God's will for us. And therefore, I think you and I are called to learn this prayer and to pray it for one another, to pray it for Mike to pray it for Bud and to Fred and all the deacons, to pray it for our friends, our brothers and sisters who are going through tough times, that they would be strengthened in the spirit in their inner man, that they would know the presence of Christ and his love for them. Wouldn't that be remarkable? That we would all be praying that. What would happen to Christ Presbyterian Church? if we all began to pray this prayer for one another, how glorious could we be? The psalmist says, satisfy me in the morning with your loving kindness. Satisfy me this morning with your great, great love. Brothers and sisters, this prayer is great evidence because of the Apostle Paul writing this that God wants us to know his love. God desires us to have this true sense of his affection for us. And as you read the scriptures, Psalm 103, Psalm 107, Psalm 86, you see that this is the God that is mentioned in Scripture. The world has it all wrong. The world has it all wrong. God is a God of love, and He loves us enough to give us His only Son. Well, let's pray. Father, I thank You for this wonderful Scripture, this wonderful prayer. What a model that You have given us. I pray now that you would cause all of us, just through the hearing of this word now, to be more encouraged about how much you love us, how much you are devoted to your church, how much Christ Jesus you 
adore us. We are your bride. You are coming again for us. And it thrills us to think of you coming soon. And so we say, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. Perfect us. Be patient with us. Remove every spot, every wrinkle, everything of any imperfection within us. And began, we pray, with our strengthening that we might know your love and comprehend it until we are at last filled up to all the fullness of God. And we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.